This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So um, we're going to continue the teaching that I started last week, which is restoring the relationship. God's redemption plan for man. So, as we were going through this last week, we're going to do some review and then we're going to get into some new information. Uh, go ahead and turn over to John chapter 3 because that's where we're going to start out. You know, it's just very important that we understand that redemption is God's plan, not man's. We've gotten to the point and, and I don't want to say it's just our society because when we look back in Romans 1 last week, we saw was, things were happening back then the same way they're happening now. Well, we've taken our ways and our standards, our ideas, and we've exalted them above God's standards. We've exalted it above who God is. So when the truth, when God sends his truth and he shows us who he is and what he's done, it's not, it's almost foreign to us. And some of us, we've been in churches our whole life. We, we say we're religious. We say we're Christians. But then when the true teaching of Christ comes, it, it, it doesn't sit with us well because we've mixed that which is God's with ours and we've come up with something, you know, that's not good. And then we want to say, well, well, maybe that's not what I always knew about God. That's what I always thought. I thought it was this. I thought it was that. But what God is saying is, no, let me tell you who I am. Let me bring some order. Let me restore you in the truth of who I am and what I have done. And at this time, when you look at it, it's very important because the thing about it is if you can't get this, you can't grow in God. It's like you have to be set in the right position. That's what we talk about restoration is to build you back up, put you in the right place. If you're not put in the right place, you're never going to get to go in the right direction. So let's go to John chapter 3. We're going to look at verse um, 16 through 21. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So we were looking at this scripture last week, and I told you what, what, what this teaching is. We're going to basically go through those scriptures, and I'm going to explain how those scriptures lay out. And we were looking at, and I was telling you that God the Father... So loved us. When it says the world, it means mankind. And it's very important that you understand that that means every human being. It does not mean only the people I like, only the people I think deserve it, only the people that like chocolate ice cream, whatever. It's all mankind. You know, when you think about things, you always think about, you know, um, people who have done horrible things. You know what? God can and will save them. There, there's nothing, there's nowhere God won't reach to get you. And he does that because of his love. Because he loved us, he sent his son so that we could be saved. The son, who is Christ, brings us salvation. So God gives the gift, we accept the gift. We're the recipient. So we have a choice. So in verse 16 it says, whosoever believeth. So whosoever is a qualifier. So what that means, it qualifies the rest of the statement. So now, God so loved the world, God so loved everybody, plus everybody you're not thinking about, everybody, 
that whosoever, now whosoever is the door that you go into. Now it's, now, now we're kind of funneling down. Everybody, God gave his son for everyone. But whosoever believeth. So you have the choice to believe or not to believe. That means you have a choice to accept what Christ has done for you or you can reject what Christ has done for you. If I accept the gift, that gift, it brings the light. It brings freedom from sin. It brings life. Now, if I say, no, I don't want to be a part of that whosoever. I'm going to just stay back here in the other place. Then I won't get the life. I won't get the freedom from sin. I won't get life. That's part of the gift. The objective of this teaching is to provide a clear understanding of what God has done for us and what it means to believe the gospel message so that we can have the acceptable, initial, and ongoing response to God. We have to become the whosoever. We have to make the choice to become the whosoever. And then we have to continue. That is the ongoing response. That's that uh, verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. That is deeds. That's your deeds. That's what you continue to do. So there's an initial response. And then there's an ongoing response that we need to have. As we looked at this, we saw um, in verse 16, it had the word perish and everlasting life. And what I told you guys was that these things, like perish, is a final destination of ruin. It is hell apart from God who is life, truth, and joy. And final, there's nothing after final. Everlasting life, that's eternal life. That's a new quality of life that once you become whosoever, you start to possess and you'll have it forever. So these words, everlasting, final, those kind of transcend our temporal way of thinking. They go beyond the time frame that we think about. It's not centered around this current age. So it's not something that you can come back from. It is, it, it's final. There's nothing after it. So either you have everlasting life or you're perishing. The most important thing that you will do in your life is respond to the gospel message. That is the most important thing that you will ever do. There is no, nothing else, nothing else tops that. Because, I just told you, it determines your final state. It also determines what goes on. Remember I told you that everlasting life is a new quality of life, which a believer now has now as a present possession. So it, it deals with your life here, but it deals with your life after what we know. So it is the most important decision you'll ever do in your life to respond to the gospel message. That's totally your responsibility. Nobody else can make that decision for you. You can't make it for anybody else. You know, I know parents, they love their children and they wish they could make that decision for them, but you can't. You can give them as much information, but you can't make the decision for them. So we went on and we talked about that a person is saved by believing, by trusting in Christ. And who is Christ? We said Christ is the light. He is God. He was from the beginning. We went over to John chapter 1. And we looked at that and we saw that he was from the beginning. That he couldn't sin. And that he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. So he is God so he cannot sin. We are man. We are not God. So guess what? When Adam sinned, that passed down that sin nature to all of us. So guess what? We can sin. So we're not God. When Adam sinned, it put all of us out of place. All mankind out of place. God has never been out of place. So when he sent Jesus, when Jesus came to this earth and paid for our, our sins, it, Jesus wasn't doing anything for him. He was doing it for all, all for us. He was never in jeopardy. And that's what I think, it, you know, it'll, it'll change the way you praise and worship God when you realize he didn't need to do this for himself. It was a totally selfless act. We were the ones in trouble. The relationship, our trouble, our being away from God has been restored through Jesus Christ. So we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Then we went over to Romans chapter 5 and we looked at... When we were without strength, when we could do nothing for ourselves, Jesus sent Christ. I mean, God sent Christ so that he could take the wrath for us. He could take that punishment. He could take on our judgment so we didn't have to be judged. And once again, we didn't have anything to offer. 
nothing. I was thinking about this today, and I was like, you know, you think about it. Say, let's say you got about $75,000. And you say, you know what, I want to take this $75, and I want to invest in a person that's graduating from high school. Either I want to start them on their career, whatever career path they have, or I want to make sure that they get into school, and I want to pay their tuition. So you go, and you, you find a, a student. And this student, you talk to their counselors and you talk to their parents and they're like, well, you know, no, I don't even know if they've ever read a book. I don't know if they've done any homework. I don't even know if they know they need a job to eat. And you're like, well, okay. And then you talk to the student and they say, well, what do you want to do? I don't really want to do nothing. I don't care. You know, they just, they don't even, they look like they hadn't taken a bath. They don't care. They got their feet kicked up. They chewing gum. They got, you know, throwing trash all over. You're talking to me like, well, well, I don't know. You know, should I invest in you? That's, now I'm going to tell you what I'll do. I say, no, that's not the person. That person has, that person has nothing going for them. They don't even want anything. Not only do they not, not have, only have they not proven themselves in the past, they don't even act like they want anything in the future. So most, everybody would be like, no, I ain't giving it to them. But you know what God did? God said, I see the value. That's, we were that lazy, irresponsible, that, that student I was talking about. That's who we were. And God said, he looked beyond all of that. Actually, he didn't look at it. It wasn't why, that's not why he did it. He didn't look at us. It was his love. It was his love that caused him to do it. So when we had nothing to offer, it was his love that caused him to send his son because he wanted fellowship with us. He wanted to restore that relationship with us. So God wants to restore the relationship. He's restored the relationship through Jesus Christ. But once again, you have to be part of that whosoever. So the way has been made, but the choice is yours. So you have to accept the offer. To accept the offer, you have to realize that you need help and that God is that help. You have to realize that you, you where you are, you go back to the student I was talking about. That's not the attitude you should have. Where you are is not where you need to be. And you need to say, okay, yeah, I recognize that. You have to recognize that your ways have been wrong. And once you do that, you recognize it. And not only do you recognize it, because sometimes we recognize that we're wrong and we say, that's fine, I'll stay wrong. But you have to say, not only do you recognize you're wrong, but I don't want to be wrong anymore. God, I see that I'm out of position with you. I don't want to be out of position with you anymore. I know I can't get back in right position with you on my own. I see that. I am, I am sinful. I don't have that. I don't have the ability to do that. And then you recognize, but that's why he sent Jesus the Son. And you accept what Jesus the Son has done, saying, I want to get out of this unrighteous position. And then you're repenting. You're turning away from your own works and you're relying on the work of Jesus Christ. Then you're born again. Now you have to, you, you repent and you're born again. Repenting is turning away from your own works. We're going to get into this later on. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. But a lot of times we think that our works can save us. If our works could save us, there was no need to send Jesus. God just would have said do X, Y, and Z. And then you'll be saved. But that's not what he did. He had to send Jesus. So, we, it's up to us to make the choice. Our response to the gospel is our choice. We do have an adversary. And I talked about the adversary of the devil last week. He is, he's going to try to present. He's going to try to persuade. He's going to try to make sure that you don't get what you need to make the right decisions. But guess what? He can't stop you. We said it in our confession, the devil cannot stop me. The choice is still going to be yours. So to make this choice, we said that you needed to know who God is. You need to know what he's done, who he's done it for, how he's accomplished it. And then I need to choose whether I'm going to accept what Christ, what God has done. So... And this is, go ahead and go over to Romans chapter 1 because we're going to read that. So, this is kind of where we left off last week. God is the creator. We're the creature. 
So, you know, you think about it. God is the creator. We say that and then we're the creature. God is all-powerful. And when I say all, I can all, I say that because that is how we can explain it to each other. So God is powerful. He's limitless. So when we think of things, we think of our limitations because we have limitations. But God has no limitations. So when I say God is the creator, almost everything that you think about has been created or has been made. God is above all of that. So when you think of you, God's above that because he created it. You know, what, what, is, what is in the Bible? Who, who's, um, it's the scripture that says, who's better, the person who built the house or the house? When you think about that, Think about it that way. So God is the person who built the house. It's a lot of houses. He built them all. So, you know, it's almost, you almost just kind of have to sit and just kind of let it sink in when you start thinking about God. There's no, tonight we're going to get into who God is and and what he does. And I want to tell you, there's no way for me to truly explain who he is. First of all, I don't know everything about him. Because every, every day he reveals something new. And then I have to use the words that I know to explain him. And that's the only way we can do it. So when we think of God being the creator, you have to figure out a way to kind of uh, get that in your mind. That he's bigger than whatever you can think of. Whatever you think of as big, he's bigger. I say that to say, you know, God is the creator, we're the creature. He's not looking for our input. He doesn't need our suggestions. He doesn't need our advice on how to do things. Because he's the creator. Why does, he, why does he need that? So let's go, okay, Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even the eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men, man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own flesh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So I was reading that to show you, to talk about that we can't take our ways. And when I say our ways, we're going to get into this tonight. We can't take things that as men, as humans, we've made up and make them God. We can't take the things that we make, because we don't really create anything. We take stuff from what's already been created and make things. And then what we do, it says it here. We take, you know, you you take it and you make an image. Whether it's a beast, whether it looks like man, whatever it is, you make an image and then you say that image is God. You say that this way of life is God. And what I mean by way of life, I mean this uh, culture. How about that? This culture is God. And then what happens is, so here's God. He's been revealing himself to you through all the time, through his word, through nature, through all these things. He's been revealing himself to you as God. But you say, well, God, that's nice, all that stuff you showed me. But I think that I am going to believe that my culture is God. And I'm going to exalt that. So now I'm worshiping the creature more than the creator. Because guess who created the culture? The creature did. 
So I can't take man's wisdom and put it in the place where God's wisdom should be. So when I do that, once again, it's, it's, it's ours. We're, we're taking it and we're worshiping the creature. So if you look at that and you look at how things are in the world now, we worship the creature and we wonder why society's a mess. And, and God told them, you do all these things, go ahead. And you know what, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. You wonder why all of this stuff is going on, why all this perversion is happening in our society. It's because we worship the creature more than the creator. And we think that all we did was change a little something. We think that, oh, well, I just made one little change, God. I know you said this, but I, I did this. And that's the way I told everybody to do it. So now everybody's following this. And you wonder why things are so off. Because we've, we've exalted the creature. We've exalted ourselves. We've exalted man, mankind, over God. So um, go over to Matthew chapter 6. Last week I said, even though we know the way we're living is not working, and I may not have said it in these words last week, even though we know the way that we're living is not working, it's something that is in your heart, in your spirit, telling you there's something wrong. And you see it in your life. You see the things that's going on in your life. It's causing other things in your life to be out of whack. But you know, you know that there's something, no matter what you change, you know, that's not the change I need. That's not the change I need. There's something that's not right. But for some reason, you still can't have the proper response to the gospel. You can't, you can't get it right. So uh, where are we going? Matthew chapter 6, right? Matthew chapter 6, and we're still kind of reviewing here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23 says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So remember, light is Christ. He is the word. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So basically, if I think that where I am and the way I'm living is right, that this is light, then I'm not going to change because I don't see it as darkness. It's darkness. You're living in the darkness. You're groping around. You don't know what's going on, but you think that this is it. You think that your darkness is light, so you don't see a reason to change. You're just like, well, this is how it's going to be. This is, this is how it's going to be, so it must be this way. And it's not. You have to let the light in. So the issue, the problem that's going on is that there's a high place that you built up or you've allowed somebody else to build up in your mind that's not godly. It is ungodly. There are ungodly ideas. There are ungodly thoughts. There are ungodly systems that you've given more weight to and more importance to than God. And you have placed them above the word of God. So what is happening is when the light tries to come in, you say, no, what I have is the light. What you have is some weird thing that you're telling me, and I'm not going to believe it. But you're getting, you're still getting the results of the darkness now. Remember, when the light comes in, it brings in the life. It brings in the freedom. It brings in joy. It brings in peace. You think you're in light, but you don't have any of those things. You have no joy. You have no peace. You're, you're looking for, you're searching, and I think about you're groping around, and none of those things are available to you because you have not let the light in. There's a place in your life that God should only belong, and you've given that place over to man. So, those are those thoughts, those attitudes, those mindsets, those beliefs that are anti-Christ. So, you know, you say that word, people, they per- what? Antichrist? What? Huh? Huh? I'm, you know, you know, we can't use paper money no more. Maybe this is it. Let me tell you. The, the reason, the reason the enemy, he's so subtle. He just builds things up. He doesn't just come in and just take over and rip everything to shreds. He just slowly puts things in. Slowly puts things in. Eating it away. Eating away. Eating away at the truth. So, the things that you have started to believe, and it could have been just one little thing, 
one little piece of untruth and you believed it. And it moved you just a little bit. And then it moved you a little. You believed something else. It moved you a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Until you were way off. But once again, you think that light is darkness. You know, excuse me. You think that darkness is light. So you can't, you can't really see that you're way off. You are, okay, it's either Christ or Antichrist. There's no like, there's no neutral. How about that? There's no neutrality in this. There is either accept or reject. There is either eternal life or perish. There is no, well, you know, what is that? Was it purgatory that they talk about? Where you can go and hang out a little while and somebody can pray you out? I think, what, like in the 1400s, somebody could give money to them and get you out of there and all that kind of stuff. See how that changes? The standard of God doesn't change. But from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but purgatory changes. Because before you could you could go and you could pay, I believe it was the 1400s, like around the Renaissance. I may be wrong with my history here, but you could pay certain people, and they would they would pray for your loved ones to get out of that. And now you, I believe you can pray for it, or maybe you can go to the priest and pay for it. But it's all these different things that you can do to help somebody else out. No, that's not the standard of God. There is one standard. He told you here in the Bible. It's, it's plain. It's clear. God sent his only, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. It's right there. It's just that simple. But what we want to do is we want to take, and I guess this is just how we are made up as people. We want to do something. It's just so in us. We've got to accomplish something. God, let me help you. Save me. Now how stupid is that? If I'm drowning, if I am drowning and I need to be saved, how can I help the person save me? If I could help the person save me, guess what? I wouldn't need them. But that's what we want to do. We want to help God save us. We want to make it better. But God, let's let's just change it up like this. Let's Let's just say these words instead of those words. Because nowadays, this kind of word, when you say this, oh, God hates sin. You can't say hate. God, so let's say God really dislikes it because that's more politically correct. God don't need your political correctness. He just needs you to obey. He doesn't even need you to obey. You need to obey. The benefit is yours. So there are some things in in my notes. I said stuff. I like the word stuff because it just encompasses everything. It's just stuff in your life that you can't imagine how you would live without it if it changed so like I was just talking about that purgatory and all that stuff for somebody when I said that you thought that sounds right but I can't accept it because I believe it so long and I can't change that so what is happening here you are hearing the word the word which is the light is coming in and now you get to choose to accept that light or shut it out and say I don't want that in my in this spot right here I'm going to leave it just like it is So there are places, these are those high places. These are those places that are built up so high in your mind that you're like, there is nothing that I will let touch that. That's my golden calf. I'm going to bow down to that. And anybody who says anything about my golden calf, looks at it wrong, I'm shutting them out. I'm going to talk, I'm going to, they're my enemy. Because that's what I've exalted. And even though, even though you hear it and you say, you know, I need to examine that a little bit more because what's being said, it's striking something in me on the inside. There's, you're, you're so afraid of the change. You're, you don't want to pull that high place down because you've worshipped it so long. You've given it your love. You've given it your affection. And what happens if I lose that place? Guess what? Don't worry about losing that place because what God has for you, it's better than that. What God has for you is eternal. What God has for you is sustaining. You know what? You, you think about the golden calf that they built, the children of Israel built. They had to, now listen to this. So they got the gold and stuff that they brought out of Egypt with them. Then they did the work to melt it down and do whatever all they had to do and build the golden calf. So they did all that work. Yeah, I've never built anything like I'm not. I'm not handy, but it looks like it's hard. I would assume that it's hard. It took some work. 
So they built with their hands these things that was theirs, and then they said, that's my God. Now, now how, how does that, you say, that doesn't really make any sense, but that's what we do. That's what we do. We take those things that we have made, that we've put our effort into, like I said, your emotions, your affection, your love. you got your heart into those things. You, and, 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 and it's okay to have affection and love for things, but everything has its proper place. You know, some people have taken their family and they've made their family their God. You know, they got to check with their family before they do with anything. Last week I talked about, you know, whatever gives you permission. Well, I can't believe that God saved me this way because my family won't approve. Or I can't commit to God fully because my family will have something to say about it. And you know what? You should love your family. You should be committed to them. But you should not be committed to your family above the things of God. When God comes in, there's nothing else to it. God is God. He has the first and the last. He is the alpha. He is the omega. So you have to let all the rest of that stuff go. And that needs to be your mantra. God is the alpha and the omega in my life. I'm going to check with him first. I'm going to check with him last. Anything in between doesn't matter because he has the final say. So when you think, I, I was thinking about this, and I remember, I remember back uh, when President Obama was president. I was talking to someone, and I don't know what I was talking to them about, and I didn't know their political leanings. We were just having a conversation, and I said something about it, and they were like, "Oh yeah, Barack Hussein Obama." And I was like, well, what does that have to do? And I knew it rubbed me the wrong way. And I guess I kind of looked, but we finished our conversation. And then I thought about it. And as I was studying it out, God brought it back to me. He's like, people think a name makes you saved. So because his name, his middle name had a negative connotation. And his first name was not John or Peter or Paul or whatever. It wasn't our Americanized name. We assumed, well, wait a minute. How can he be saved? Because he has a name that's unlike ours. In fact, he has a name who goes against, he shares a name with somebody else who is, who is against God. A name doesn't save you. A name does not take you out of the world that God loved. That's not how it is. But we'll get so caught up, once again, you, the creature, the creature over the creator. You think your appearance what you wear, where you live, all these things, you'll say that that is what saves you. And you think that man's work is saving you and it's not. Salvation is God's work. My part is to believe. Over in John 3.16, it brings up the word believe. So um, I'm just going to read that just so we can have it. So um, once again, John 3.16. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there are things, you know, when we say believe, it's one of those words that's a little loose. We all kind of have our own definition. And sometimes you can say, yeah, you know, I believe this or I believe that. You know, I believe that this is the best football team. I believe, you know, that's not what we're talking about right now. This is think to be true. It means implying trust. It is believed to the extent of complete trust. So when I believe, I think it to be true. I think it to be true and because of that, it implies trust. Not only trust, but complete trust. So, we're to believe on the Son. But, there are, what I just talked about is us believing in man's work. Why would I believe that salvation is man's work? How would I confuse the issue? How would I get confused between what God has done and what man has done? How are these thoughts, these mindsets, these ideas, these things, how, how did they get into my mind and how did that get built up? So we're going to take a look at that a little bit. So there have been, and still are, so there are things in your past and there are things now that are external or out 
outside influences and then there are things going on in your mind internally that have caused you to exalt our ways or man's ways over God's ways. So those outside our external influences, those are other people. So those are other people who have said, who have done something, who have maybe you've uh, seen their past experiences and because of that it has influenced you. So when we look at this, in order for you to believe it, that person or those people had to have some type of influence. A lot of times the influence will come from people who are in delegated authority. So these are people, whether it be delegated authority in a local ministry, whether it be delegated authority in a country or in, in any place, they have delegated authority. And they've abused that position, or maybe they've just been, they've been wrong, and they didn't come back and correct what they've been wrong, but they've said things that God has not said, but they said He said it. Does that make sense? So basically, they said God has said when He has not said. So, um, it's been some years back, but there was, um, I believe it was a, a be, I think it was a really big earthquake in this place and this guy who was supposed to be a big leader in the church got up and said this is God punishing these people for this 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 and this what but because of his position his delegated authority or what we assume that people watching what we assume is his delegated authority now we're believing that this is what God does God wants to punish people, so he punishes them by, you know, having this big earthquake. That's not true. But because of that, people, we start to take that in. So that, that's, that's an untruth about God. And if you know, let me tell you something. When you hear things, even it takes energy to react to those things. So, for example, you hear something somebody says. You hear, like, you hear what I'm saying. Once again, you're either going to accept it or you're going to reject it, but there's going to be some energy on your part to do either one of those things. If you decide to just be passive about it, you still hurt it. It's still in your mind. Like you ever go to, t- uh, go to sleep with the TV on and you hear something, and you're like, where did I hear that from? That's the way it is. Even if you don't pay attention to it, you still hurt it. So when you hear these things that are wrong about God, you either need... Either you know that that's wrong about God and you can combat it with the word of God or you take it in and you hold it. So let's say you heard something wrong about God and you take it in and you hold it. And especially if you hear somebody in a place of delegated authority. So people say things, they have, they're in positions that we, uh, in these authority positions and they're wrong. But we hold, we hold it and they're in a position of authority so it carries a little weight with us. So then there's another group of people that come in. These are people who have influence maybe just directly in your life. Maybe like your friends, your parents' friends, the people you hang out with at work. And they have influence in your life and you've given them a little bit of authority in your life. You don't really maybe, you don't really call it that, but you care about what they think. So that's giving them a little bit of authority. So they give you wrong information. They live a certain way. This is when you get what you say like this is when you get the hypocrites like you know you say well I remember going to church and I remember this man said he loved God but he cheated on his wife he beat his wife and all these things and you say well yeah I remember him and, and I remember going over to his house and he gave me popsicles and I liked him because he gave me popsicles so now I've seen his lifestyle he said he loved God but his lifestyle doesn't match God so now I got this in my mind, and even though, even if I saw it just three times when I was little, it's, it's in my mind. I'm holding it there. So, what happens is, I've got these things in my mind. Now, I make decisions. I make choices. I build um, an environment in my mind based on these things that I've seen and I've heard from these other people. Now, Another thing, internally, what you can do is you can take your experiences and you can say, well, this happened to me, so this is what I believe about God. Or, 
I like this and I believe God supports this because I like it and God likes me. So, of course, he's into that. Then there also be maybe misunderstandings that you've heard. So, you know, you go to Church of Living Water, you hear the word. We get taught a good word. It is clear. It is plain. But that doesn't mean you don't misunderstand it sometimes. That, that doesn't mean that you don't get full understanding and you act before you get full understanding. And, and now you build these things up. And then sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge. Sometimes you just don't know. So you know what? What you don't know, you make up. And this is all in your head. So what you've done is you've built just this, just think of a, a fortress, a city of, of what you think of God, of who you think God is. So there are the things that we've experienced, we've heard, and they aren't from God. So if something happens, we experience it or we hear about it or, or, or see it. And it's not from God, but because of the things we have processed, those internal things and those external things that have come into our lives, we now believe that they're God. But they're not God. But in our mind, they are God. Because guess what? We've now exalted the creature over creator. So this is why there's so much unscriptural and untrue teaching about God. Because... We will take what we like as people. Remember those itching ears. We'll take the things that we like that makes us feel good, that tickle our flesh, and we'll build those up and we'll worship those things. So we'll take the opinions of men and exalt them over the truth of God. And when we do that, and I talked about this last week, we submit our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions to these opinions, not to the true and living God. We cannot let our culture, our background, our past experiences, our social affiliations, or anything else dictate how we live. What do I mean by that? There is nothing that... I, I am a Christian. I am a believer. I am a child of God. That is the end of story. There may be other things that I am. I'm a black woman. But you know what? When it comes to doing the will of God, I don't go check the black woman handbook and see if it's okay. I don't, and I'm seeing it now, you know, and it's just so subtle. It's just so subtle. You'll see these things and you're like, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go into this. Okay, so it's political season, time for, for election. And you say, well, I identify with this political party. We'll say, I identify with the Democratic Party. And they believe X, Y, and Z. So, then, I'm going to align my life up with what they believe. No way. As a believer, that's not, you don't check with the Democratic Party to say, Oh, God, can I believe this? No, the Democratic Party, look, 200 years ago, there was no Democratic Party, like you know it now. So let me tell you, it may not even be one next week. You don't know. This is all changing. So you don't check with something that is man-made to tell you how to live your life. But that's what we do. You know, you know, you don't have to check with your sorority. You don't have to check with your fraternity to see if it's okay to, to, to join a, a, the ministry of health at your church. You don't have to go and check with your, I don't know, whatever else you're dealing with. You know, your friends, the people you hang out with, your basketball club, all those things. You don't have to check with that. Okay, if you're checking with it, that's who you worship. That's who you worship. And you can say you're a believer, you can, you can read every scripture, you can pray, you can do everything that you're supposed to do. But then if you are checking with that thing, if, and, and I remember this, I can't even remember which one it was, but it was, it was a fraternity and they said, was it God, family, frat? That was what they said. If you got that mantra from your fraternity, if God didn't order your ways, guess what you did? You, you worshiped that. And not God, the creator. There are high places. Go over to Isaiah 57. There are high places in our lives and they only belong to God. He is the only true and living God. So Isaiah 57, we're going to look at verse 15.
So Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God is high and lifted up. He inhabiteth eternity. Nobody else can say that. God alone is to sit in that high place. He will restore you if you repent. That humble and contrite heart, that's coming to him with repentance, sorrowfulness of what you've done, of going in and, and putting something else, exalting something else above the word of God. So what you've got to do is you've got to surrender that high place to God. God is the God most high, but is he the most high in your life? He, may, he is. You, there's no question about that. But what do you believe him to be in your life? God's already done the work. All I have to do is accept it. All I have to do is believe it, trust it, fully embrace it. So, is God who you think he is? If you want, if you want to write something, actually that's the one thing I want you to write down tonight. I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to, this is how I want you to write it on your paper or type it, whatever you're going to do. Is God who I think he is? If I have the, percep- the wrong perception of God, I can't clearly understand what he's done. If I don't have the right perception, if I don't know if who God is is not who I think he is, I'm not trusting in the right thing. I don't know what to believe. Go over to Numbers chapter 23. Is God who I think he is? Is my perception of God who God really is? Or do I have a different perception of him? Numbers chapter 23. We're going to look at verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he, hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? So there's so much in that. God's not a man that he should lie. What God says he does. Remember I said he's all powerful and I, and, and I had to use the qualifier of all because that's the way we think. There's nothing left out. Why would God have to lie? He doesn't. He can't. Lying is a sin. He can't lie. When he says it, if he says that he's going to do it, what would stop him? He's the creator. He's all powerful. There's nothing that can stop him. He doesn't do things the way we do them. We cannot think that God is a man. We cannot think that God is human. So we use words to describe God that are the same words that we use to describe ourselves. So like I said, God is all-powerful. God is good. God is love. And we use these words because these are the words that we have. So like if you ever talk to like little children, you know, you use words that they understand. Or you give them um, a frame of reference that they can understand. I remember when one of my nieces, she was about three or four and I was up there visiting and I was getting ready to go and she's like and Kelly well why do you have to leave I want you to stay and I said well you know I got to go to work and she, no well first she said do you have to go to gymnastics because that's the only thing she had on her calendar so that must have been what I had on mine right so I said well you know I have to go to work and of course she's four years old she don't know what work does she knows people go but she doesn't know what that means and she said well why and I said well I need to make money and a four-year-old has no idea about rent. They don't know about food. They don't know about insurance. So to make her understand, I said, I need to go to work to make money to buy you toys. So she's about eight now. She is taking that to heart because when she wants a toy, and Kelly goes to work to buy her a toy. But I had to make that, I had to frame that so she could understand it. That's the way we have to frame God. Because we are 
finite, we are limited, we are weak, we are clothed in sinful flesh. And God is none of those things. So, when God comes to us and reveals us, to, uh, reveals himself to us, he has to make himself known. So he has to show us that way. He has to give us those analogies and those metaphors so that we can understand who he is as he's revealing himself to us. Because there's no way that we as fallen, temporal, finite mankind can grasp the ultimate reality of God. That's why sometimes when you, you hear people and they're talking about how good God is, they just have to stop. Because it just overwhelms your mind. Because he, he's just that much. And plus more. Infinity. You know, square that or whatever. You math people know what I'm talking about. You know, make it, you know, like I was thinking about what's that number? Pi keeps going and going and going and going. But think about that. That, that God, the, the number is a 3.14. The 3 starts it off, but God has no start. So you know how sometimes you start thinking about that, you math people, and you th- start thinking about pi, how it keeps going, 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 going. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. God is more than that. Because he has no start, and he has no end. He created that number. So when you think about that, you're like, wow. But we have to figure out ways to explain ourselves, explain him to others. And he explains himself to us. So when we look at it and we say God is good, We think of goodness, but we still think of goodness in our own personal way. We say God is loving. We still have that personal frame around it. And that's okay, but what you have to understand is God goes outside of that frame, and when he goes outside of that frame, you got to be okay with it. You can't say, no, God, I just got you right here in this box. No. You have to let God reveal himself to you. Let the light come in. Let the light come in. There's another word, and I want to say this because I heard somebody say a long time ago, you know, and the Bible says God's a jealous God. And somebody said, well, I don't want to serve a jealous God. Well, when you think about jealousy, you think about the crazy man who doesn't let his wife go anywhere or, you know, picks fights because people look at him and all that kind of crazy stuff or the woman going in, ripping up the guy's car and doing all that. That's what you think of as jealousy. That's jealousy wrapped in sin, this sinful flesh. God cannot sin. So when he says he's jealous, he's a jealous God, he's God alone. He's not going to tolerate any rivals. Now based on just what I've told you just just these last few minutes about how great God is, there is no rival for God. There is none. But have you set up a rival in your life? Have you said, God, yeah, you're great, but here's your rival. Here's who's competing with you in my life. Go over to um, Psalms 100. It's, it's so important that we do understand our, our place, our part. Salvation is God's work. We are to believe. God is the creator. We are the creature. In Psalms 100, let's look over at verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is good. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So God's the creator. We're the creature. What I like about this is he who's made us. Not only has he made us, but we are the sheep of his pasture. That means he's going to take care of us. There's nothing that we need that God can't supply. There's nothing that we need that God won't supply. God's not seeking retribution. He's not out to get you. He is not going to, like I was saying that God said that that earthquake was God getting those people for whatever they've done. That's not God. Let me tell you, if God wanted to get us, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. We got right there. We're in condemnation. There's no way out. So why would God do those things? But the thing about it is people have told us that. And what we've done is maybe we didn't act on it right away, but we kept that thought. And then maybe somebody else came in and they didn't say it the exact same way, but they said something that fed that thought. And then you had an experience that fed that thought. So now what's happened is it's built up over time, over time. And now you've taken that and you said, God is out to get me because I did X, Y, and Z. 
or God doesn't love me because I am this. And that's not true. That's not true. That's something you built up. He's not looking to get you back. He, he doesn't have to. He sent Jesus so that you could be saved, to pull you out of that condemnation if you believe. Here's the other thing. A lot of times, you know, we think, okay, so certain people, they're really close to God. And God prefers them because they do this, they do that. Maybe they're a teacher, they're a pastor, they do this. So if that person says something to God about me, God believes that. God's not a gossip. That's not how God does. God's not taking anyone else's opinion of you. God knows you. He created you. He knows more about you than you know. So why would he have to go to somebody else to get information about you? He tells you stuff about you. And you're like, God, I didn't know that. Thank you for that. So he doesn't have to get that information from anybody else. Once again, don't think that God is a man. He's not a man. Take all of those limits that we have on, as men have, take that off of God because that's not who he is. Yeah, let's go over to, um, yeah, we got just a little time. Let's go over to Isaiah 55. And we'll just, we'll just kind of jump into this and we'll pick up next week with this. Because once again, we have to make sure that we are believing the truth about God, not what we think God is. Because if we don't believe God is who he really is, we won't be able to trust him. We won't be able to believe. So let's go over to um, Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon me. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God, he doesn't do things like man does them. So we can, once again, we can take that off of him. God, like I said, he's not looking to get you back. He does not have a score to settle with you. If you think God's love is based on anything that you can do, or that another person can do, or that you've done, or another person has done, then you're missing it. God loves you because he loves you. And, and that's it. You know, I was thinking God loves you in spite of, but that is still a, lim- a little limiting. God is love. He just loves. He sent that love to whoever, to all of us. And the issue comes down to is, are you going to accept what he's done? Are you going to say, God, I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me and you sent your only begotten son. So I'm going to believe on that so that I will have everlasting life and I will not perish. That's the thing. We keep putting these other conditions on salvation. We try to make it harder than it really is. And God is just saying is, do, do you believe me? Do you believe that I love you? Not, we're going to talk about this next week. Not that I love some people or I love, oh, well, God loves Sister Castile. God loves Pastor Hill. God loves Minister Martin. God loves this person, this person. But do you believe that God loves you? Because if you don't believe that God loves you, nothing I say here tonight, it may sound good. But you're not going to accept it because you don't think it's for you. The gift is for you. It is for each and every one of us individually. God loves us. He, you know what? He's not going to run out of love. You just have to, you, you got to stop thinking that God's a man. He's not a man. God love 
God so loved the world, all of us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe that, if you believe, wait, I was perishing, but because of God's love, he sent his son, and now I don't have to perish? That, that is the first step to salvation. That, that is what you have to believe. And then you make the step and you say, God, I don't want to be in this anymore. I want to turn around. I want to accept the gift. And I want to live my life like you called me to live. I don't want this darkness anymore, Lord. I see your light coming in. I want it to continue to come in. That is, what it, that, that is accepting salvation. That is believing the gospel. If you have done that, if that's what you're hearing, if those are the things that you're seeing, and maybe you are saved, maybe you've been saved, but there are some things in your life that you realize that you've been shutting God out. You've been saying, God, I want to keep this darkness. And God is saying, no, there's light. I want to bring this to light for you. Then you know what? You need to, you need to take the step. Once again, I'm out of time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Take the action. Your part, salvation is not your work, but the believing is. Believing means that I'm trusting in, that I'm relying upon, and because I rely upon that, then I will, my actions will show that. So if I'm believing, there's something that I'm going to do. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.